Hello, Crosswinds. I say good morning, but it's kind of getting to the afternoon, isn't it? And if you're watching us online on our online campus, you could be watching us at any time. So I just want to let you know that I'm glad to be here with you today. I'm glad to be able to share what God has laid on my heart in this series on Thrive, not surviving only, but thriving in Christ as we move along on our journey with him. I want to start this morning by asking you a rhetorical question. Can you remember the last time you found yourself kind of arguing with yourself, right? So on one hand, you tell yourself this. On the other hand, you tell yourself this, and you're just kind of fighting back and forth, and you cannot come up with the solution. Something just kind of keeps standing in your way. Well, it made me think of that old picture that we see of the angel and the devil on our shoulders, right, arguing against one another. So I thought I wanted you to see that picture, and the best representation I found was in this video. Why don't you watch this with me? You're not just gonna let him die like that, are you? My shoulder angel. Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. You. 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 You infinity. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one, look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp, and you know it. All right. That's a harp, and that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two, look what I can do. <laughs> what? What does that have to do with him? No, no. He's got a point. Listen, you guys. You're sort of confusing me, so, uh, be gone. Uh, or, uh, you know, however I get rid of you guys. That'll work. I know, it's a funny representation, right? But unfortunately, in our lives, I think it's way too close to reality. I think the problem with that scenario is that we see this little angel kind of struggling against this little red devil, when in the truth, it's us struggling inside with an internal struggle ourselves, right? The angel is not struggling with the devil. The angel is struggling, or excuse me, the devil, let's, let's rephrase that. The devil is not struggling with the angel. The devil is struggling inside of me in that scenario, those two little voices that are going on in my head. That little red devil is not placing doubt in the angel. That little red devil is placing doubt in me as I struggle back and forth with which decision it is that I want to make. And when we live with doubt, when we give into that and we live with doubt as our guide, we will struggle every single time we have an opportunity that faces us, every single time we have this choice that we have to make, every single time we have a challenge in our lives. If we rely on doubt, we will stay in that place and we won't be able to make the decisions that are ahead of us. Instead of moving on with confidence, we will find ourselves seeking shelter, if you will, in the midst of that doubt. Not moving from one place to the other, just staying stuck in that doubt. And what happens then? It allows doubt to determine our next steps in our future. And that is no way to thrive. That is no way to thrive. So today we're going to look at the role of humility and what it has to play as we thrive confidently moving forward, step by step in our walk with Jesus, 
And then we're going to consider the way that doubt attempts to steal our confidence and make us go right back and focus on self and be stuck in the chains of doubt. So we're going to look at a few things first this morning. The first thing I wanted to talk about is this term humility, right? What does this term mean? I think it's widely misunderstood. It's like the true definition of humility is all wound up in the weeds in all these twisted ideas and misconceptions. Now, some see humility as shame, like the times when you've been caught red-handed doing something you shouldn't or having something you, sh- you shouldn't, right? Well, that is not... That's not humility, that's guilt, okay? Um, Maybe humility, some people will see it as self-denial. But you can't thrive in self-denial. Rather, I love the way Timothy Keller words it. He says, it's think of humility as self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. You are not, in other words, the main attraction. I know that's hard for me to understand sometimes, but you are not the main attraction. It's moving ahead, if you will, without the constant thought of how does this affect me? How does this choice, this decision, this next step affect me? Rather than the thought might be, how does it affect the kingdom? Or what is the greater purpose in this choice or this decision that I have to make? Have you ever lost in a game and then you smile humbly and you nod your head, right? Happy for your opponent. So grateful they can't read your mind right? Because if they could, they would hear a much different story behind that smile. Well, if you are resentful, if I am resentful or struggling in anything that somebody else has accomplished, that would be pride, and that would be the opposite of humility. But humility is not a lack of confidence, In fact, it's having enough confidence in who you are that you can easily and joyfully celebrate the accomplishments of others. Now, that person won that game because they played the game better than you. Can you celebrate that accomplishment? It does not mean that you are less. It just means that you can truly be happy for and with others, truly happy for what they are able to accomplish. Humility is a genuine love for another, so much so that you give freely of yourself, whatever is within you, give freely of yourself to someone else for their benefit, for their benefit. Now, in order to embrace true humility, we need to understand it from a biblical point of view. We need to look at what Jesus teaches us about humility. And so I thought the best representation of that definition comes right from the greatest commandment. So a lawyer is asking Jesus, what is this greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' reply. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Humility allows us to lean into this commandment and also allows this commandment to lean in to our lives. We can love God and others without ourself, if you will, getting in the way. And if God commands us to do it, then he will give us the ability and the pathway 
to accomplish what he has asked. So humility and confidence may, or confidence may seem kind of like polar opposites as we look at the two today, but actually they work really closely together as important allies, if you will. Important allies for us to be able to take this Christian walk alongside of our God and thrive rather than just survive. So in the case of our little angel and red devil analogy, just imagine what could be if I swiped those doubts right off of my shoulders, swiped those concerns about self right away, and just simply followed what Jesus has asked, followed Jesus with purpose and with confidence. Would it change your future? In fact, would it change the future of those around you? Well, it did for the disciples, and it will for us. Last weekend, Pastor Brian taught us how serving empowers the believer to thrive. And in that, in that teaching, Brian referenced the account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and it's found in John chapter 13. In his example, or in this example, Jesus taught them, kind of, as I have washed your feet, I'm going to ask you now to wash the feet of others. But we know that in the midst of of that teaching, there's a much greater example. As I have served, I now expect you to follow that example and to serve others. Imagine if you heard that prompt from that example last week to wash the feet of a student, to wash the feet of a coworker, to wash the feet of a family member or a stranger. What would your first reaction be? Think of that little devil on our shoulder, right? What would he say? He'd say, don't be ridiculous. You must be hearing God wrong. What good would it possibly do for God, for his kingdom, for you to wash somebody's feet? Let's just reason this right away. Maybe the little devil would say, now that doesn't make sense. Let someone else do it. If God wanted you to do it, he'd give you some amazing huge sign and a lightning bolt so that you could see it and you could know what you were supposed to do, right? Maybe the little voice would say, what if they say no? What if they don't respect me anymore because I took the role of a servant? What if they think I'm too weak now? I think that little red devil can create huge internal struggles, all intentioned to create doubt in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, and to turn us right back, that focus right back on self. Now, Jesus doesn't mention any of those struggles when he washes the disciples' feet. In fact, he even experiences resistance by Peter, but he doesn't back down. As Brian shared, this event teaches us a great deal about service, but I think in this example, Jesus also taught his followers, both the ones then and all of us here today, another very, very, very important lesson, and that lesson is humility an essential component to fulfilling that great commandment to love others. It requires humility. Pride had no part. Doubt had no part. Jesus served in humility, and don't miss this, authority. Humility and authority. And I love that John includes that intimate moment um, for us to be able to witness and read about. As we take another really quick look at this story, I want you to consider the ingredients 
that are in this story that reflect humility because it guides us in what we need to do in that same area. The first verse, verse number one, the verses are going to be on your screen. I'm just going to give you a little overview as we go through it. The first ingredient that we see from verse number one is love, a pure love. Jesus comes to this moment with a great, ever-present love for his own, right? One would even betray him, but that did not prevent his love. One would go against him. It did not prevent his love. We can look at verse three, another ingredient. Jesus had a choice. Now, Jesus has power and authority over all. He could have asked a servant to do the washing while he did the teaching. Somebody else wash while I teach. But he didn't do that. He chose to be an example and to serve in a very, very powerful way. In this verse, we also see that Jesus was confident in his destiny. He never doubted where he came from or where he was headed. He knew his destiny and his purpose, and he moved ahead. I love that one because I see that as as the humility, right, and the confidence all beautifully interwoven together. And isn't that exactly what we're looking for? In verses 8 and then 14 and 15, we see the example or um, this idea of humility and that the action that Jesus um, performed was twofold. He served and he taught. He served and he taught on a very intimate level. The disciples here will learn that they also need to enter into the lives of others in a very intimate level. As Jesus cherished them, they are to cherish others. Do we cherish others in our interaction with them? And then I move to verse 20. And this is a very important part of the um, ingredient towards humility. We learn that it wasn't about them. Finally, Jesus tells the disciples that whoever receives them receives him and the one who sent him or the Father in heaven. And so what do they do? They humble themselves to follow Jesus with all that they have, all that they are. They move forward with a full heart and they would share themselves with others as they share his message, even to those with dirty feet, even to those who will betray, even to those who push back and say, no, no, not me, even to those that were outside their inner circle, in fact, to all the world. They would learn these very, very important lessons. So I wonder, why can't Jesus just tell them these over dinner? They're going to have uh, the last supper together. Why can't he just tell them over dinner? I think in the many miracles that we read throughout this, these stories, these, this act of humility of Jesus actually participating and choosing to participate in washing the disciples' feet would teach them the how. How is it that you desire for me to go forth and spread your word? How can I share this life changing message with others. They had a choice, this is how, to share Jesus. They had to be confident in his truth. They had to be confident in their purpose and in their destiny. They must love others well and not just love, but develop an intimate friendship relationship with those that they desired to share. 
even those that seemed hard to love. And they must remember that it isn't about them. And I love this part. It isn't about them. It's for them. Whoever receives them receives Jesus and the one who sent him. It was for them. It was for all. Because humility in its purest form is entire dependence on one who is greater. Listen to how John explains it. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, was not anything made that was made. He created all things. He knows all things. Entire dependence on the one who is greater. Listen to this quote from Andrew Murray. He says, God is ever living, ever present, and ever active. He upholds all things with his powerful word. All things exist in him. So the relationship of man to God could only be through continual, absolute, total dependence. God created by his power, and he must hold his creation together by the same power. We cannot help but acknowledge that we owe all our very existing, our beginning, our present, our future to God. So humility is acknowledging our creator, and humility is admitting our need. That's a hard thing in today's world, admitting our need for our creator, the one who is greater. So when I know my source is God, who knows and created all, when I acknowledge that he fuels my desires, my motives, my passions, then I can rest assured. Again, not in my abilities, but rather I can remain, and I love that word, remain. It's not um, here or there. It's remaining confident in him to the very end. Because God does not give us his promises of life once for all through Jesus and then just leave us. No, he gives us these promises and this life moment by moment, choice by choice, with a constant working of his mighty power in and around and through each and every one of us. So our confidence then must be rooted in our faith as we trust in him. In humility and that truer understanding of the term is our trust and our faith not in ourselves, but in him. We empty ourselves in order to be filled up with him and his purpose for our lives because we need him. We need him. We seek him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, that great commandment, because we need him. No longer do I need to be consumed with me and how will it affect me, but rather I am willing to give me over to him in every circumstance. Now, Paul writes a beautiful hymn that he shares with us in his letter to the Philippians. He's referring to Jesus and his act of true love and true power and true authority. Some refer to it as the kenosis hymn or poem, and that just simply means an emptying or a pouring out of himself. So Paul teaches the believers to look to Christ and to his attitude. I love that. It's his attitude as their example. So Christ, in the greatest act of humility, emptied himself. I think about it as though the divine, the divine did not use his position 
to his advantage. Instead, what did he do? He chose. Again, he chose the nature of a servant in order to be filled with the purpose and the plan of the Father. So we, too, are called to choose to follow in his footsteps. We empty self in order to be filled with the purpose and plan of him. And it's important to mention that this was not a weakness. It was not shame. It was not guilt. In fact, it had to be power and authority and confidence in knowing his own destiny, right? Jesus didn't have any doubts. He just had love. Listen to, listen to these words that Paul wrote again in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Paul explained that Jesus was not walking on this earth with his mind focused on self. His purpose was what? To glorify his Father in heaven, to glorify God, taking upon himself our sin. It was about you and I as he followed in obedience to the Father. And I look back and I think about that, and I think it wasn't a new concept for Jesus, this humility, right? Because the humility we see in him, he possessed right in heaven. Because he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. Humility is all over every action. Humility brought Jesus down to earth, fulfilling his destiny. And in humility, or Jesus brought that humility to earth, fulfilling our destiny. His humility, in other words, is our salvation. It's not weakness. It's power and authority and confidence. So through our humility, we acknowledge our need for his lordship over our lives. Humility places us in a right relationship with him. That little voice of doubt that wants to talk about me can be wiped away because in humility, I lean on the one who knows me better than anyone else. It isn't about me, it's for me. Now, I could have chosen many examples in scripture to kind of give you an idea of someone following in humility, but Abraham kept coming to mind. Abraham's story is found in the book of Genesis chapter 12. And if you know his story, then you know that he made some great decisions, right? But then he made some really questionable choices. Sounds familiar in even my own life. But each step taught him along the way more and more as he leaned in to his relationship with God. In Genesis 12, we learned that Abraham, who was at that time Abram, Abraham was called out of this very prosperous home, this very prosperous city called Ur. Now, this city was devoted to the moon god, Nanar. When God called him, 
He gave him a promise. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, just go to this place that I will tell you. But scripture gives us no indication that Abraham had a strong faith prior to God's call on him to leave. In fact, we can find details in other parts of scripture that tell us his father, Terah, served other gods. We read that in Joshua 24 too. So Abraham had been raised and he was married in this idolatrous culture. The one true God, it seems, had been placed on the back shelf of the lives of these people, replaced with whatever idol they wanted to grab hold of, some temporary fix for whatever it was that they were seeking in their own life. I know it sounds crazy, but I think we do the same thing today, right? Each time we put something of our own choosing on the shelf before God, we step right into the company of those inhabitants of Ur. So God called Abraham out of this place of idolatry to a new beginning. And if we look back and we begin to understand the story, it's a new beginning for us all. God unmistakably unmistakably revealed himself to Abraham. We read that as Stephen tells his story in Acts 7-2. And he revealed himself in such a way that Abraham would leave all that he knew and step out in faith to follow him. He would leave all the false idols. He would leave this prospering metropolis of Ur. He would leave to follow the one true God to a place he did not know. No map, no GPS, just a willing spirit. God had called Abraham to leave this city. And I think about it this way, to leave this city where it was prosperous, to leave his condo for a tent. And Abraham said yes. How could Abraham leave? How could he turn away from all he had now and put his trust in the one true God? Only by putting himself aside and trusting in God. It must have been a powerful encounter for him. Imagine if that little red devil was on Abraham's shoulder. What would he say? He would say, are you kidding me, Abraham? Leaving all that you have to go who knows where and live who knows how and do who knows what? Or maybe the little red devil would say, what about the dangers along the way? You have created quite a life for yourself here. Don't be ridiculous. If he had those doubts, he didn't listen to them because he moved out in confidence. And we read about this call, and it's just a few verses. But these few verses are very important as we think about the history of God's people. Significant. The only way that Abraham could leave all that he knew was to have more confidence in the purpose and plan of God in his life than he did in himself or in any of those other idols. It required full dependence on God. Abraham did not place God on the back shelf, but rather put him right out in front in full confidence as he moved forward. And I love this. What did God do? We read the history of the people, and what did God do? God created a nation of people. Now, of course, there's so much more to Abraham and Sarah's story, but um, there were times, again, when he would take these matters into his own hands, and there were times he would, even at the possible cost of the life of his son, he would follow Jesus with full faith, follow his God with full faith, in humility, dependent fully and completely on his God. 
Now, God knows our inner thoughts and our motives, even if we take a path that seems outside. I think of myself, and I think I may be on this path, but even if I take the back roads sometimes, right? He knows me, and this all-powerful God knows how to bring me back on that path. So it is never too late. It is never too late to turn to him. Now, Abraham and Sarah themselves would be brought back a few times. I myself have to be brought back many times. But where would we be today if Abraham and Sarah did not leave their plans behind and trust God? Abraham, the promise, the father of many nations, from which kings would come and from which Jesus would come, our Savior, and die on a cross for us. Humility played a significant role in God's plan. Humility joyfully and willingly gives the place of honor and the place of obedience to our God, moment by moment, choice by choice. So we consider it this way. We're created in the image of God with the ability to think, right? He gives us these gifts, the ability to think, the ability to understand, and the ability to choose. Those are from God. So let us not use these gifts from God and put them above God himself. When we think, let's keep our thoughts on God. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 to 3. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we seek understanding, let's look to him. Luke 11, 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And when we choose, let us choose him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all of your way, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We have this great commission before us to love the Lord our God with everything that we have and then what? To love our neighbor as ourselves. He guides us to love our neighbor, to love our neighbors in our jobs, in our families, to strangers as we serve in our interactions, in our cities, in our towns. He's the one who gives us that confidence when we lean into him to be able to do that with boldness. Because we can't do those things if we are first. And we can't wash somebody's dirty feet if it's about me. It must be about the greater purpose. This Christian life is full and exciting when we empty ourselves and fill it with God. Listen to one more quote from Andrew Murray. He says, it's a great paradox of the Christian life that uses humility as a path to glory. True words. Humility, as we read in Scripture, is truth. It's a deep trust, a strong faith, a willing obedience, and an unconditional love. And God gave it to us first, and we are to share it with others. If I acknowledge God's sovereignty in my life, his power, and I experience his grace and his mercy, it teaches me to face all of those challenges, all of those choices, all of those opportunities with confidence, knowing it's not only about me, but it's for me and within his greater purpose. When we trust in our Father in heaven, the creator above all things today, just imagine what he will do with the future. Now, I've known this for a long time in my life, but it takes a long time for me often to get it from my brain to my heart. So I'll wander off that path. 
I will find myself on some of those back roads leaning and depending on my Savior to bring me back. But I can tell you for sure that the days that I move on with confidence are the days, they're the best days, because I am realizing that that doubt that I have found on other days was holding me back and chaining me. But the days I move on with confidence, even if I fail, are the days I find such joy and I feel so much closer to my Father in heaven. Humility draws me into that full life with Jesus. Humility leads me to love others the way that he did. So every time, every time I bow down to Jesus, no matter the challenge that's facing me, no matter the opportunity that I have ahead, I can walk away. It doesn't change the circumstances. But I can walk away with confidence, knowing that my Lord and my Savior is with me. So humility and confidence are married together in this amazing, beautiful relationships. So I ask that we would embrace humility and that we would move forward on our journey with confidence. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 to 11. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's word is living and active in our life. It breathes new life to a weary soul. If you are weary today, if some of these changes that you've been experiencing, some of this walk that you've been taking has been making you weary, I encourage you to lean into the one who is greater to understand and recognize that we need him in our lives in order to walk on and to thrive with Christ, not just survive. I don't know where you are today, if you've accepted him or not, but I encourage you that if that's you and you have not taken that step of faith to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to take that step today, to let him know that you need him in your life. And he is there for you because in his word he says, that if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up in power, in his power and authority. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am in awe and overwhelmed when I think about your power and your might and your sovereignty, but yet, Lord, you love me, and you show grace and mercy and love to me. I thank you so much, Lord, that we can stand before you when we take the back roads, when we're flying on that right path, when we make the right choices, Lord, and when we struggle with the wrong ones, Lord. Let us lean with humility and need into your word, into who you are, Lord, so that you can fill us with your confidence and your will and your power. And Lord, if there's someone here for the very first time accepting you, I Thank you, Lord. We are joyful and celebrate with them, Lord, because it is about what you are about to do in their lives on this journey, thriving together as this community in the lives of one another. So we love you, Lord. We lift this up to you, and we just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.